Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Saints and Witches. I feel like it's been forever. It it has been some time because we delayed recording. So yeah, a little behind the scenes info. Yes, <laughs> we had to push things back because my life's a disaster and I needed extra time. That's okay. We're all a different level of disaster at different times. True, 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 true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's Liz over there. And that's Sarah. I'm a Catholic. And I'm a witch. And we are hanging out and we're going to tell each other stories about saints and witches. And And it's been almost a year, hasn't it? Yeah. Or has it been a year? Well, so I think next episode, when that one comes out, that'll be a year, our year anniversary. That's Wow. We kept up with something for a year. <laughs> Look at us. We complained the entire time. <laughs> we bitched and bitched for an entire year. <laughs> but boy, did we stick it out. Congratulations. Yeah, I am somebody who will drop any commitment if you give me the slightest room to do it. So Same. I love quitting. Oh my God. <laughs> it's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> Quitting a job is like heroin. Utter relief. Yeah, so good. Mm -hmm. I've quit so many jobs in my life. (laughs) I probably shouldn't be broadcasting this, but they were all like temporary anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. Most of my jobs I've kept for about a year or two. Yeah, and then sayonara. Yep. And then you never have to see those people ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) speaking of quitting... Um, I had many issues this week because we are apparently talking about whales this week, not the creature, the place, um, and Welsh pronunciations. Oh, Lord. I don't know why you did this to us. I don't know (laughs) either. (laughs) I, I truly don't know. Anytime there's anything outside of the U.S., it's it's tr- it's in God's hands. Um, yeah, amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna have a lot of fun with our pronunciations this week, I think. And we apologize to all of the Welsh ahead of time. Uh, yeah, but not really because who cares? You know, we're sorry, but we're two Americans, and this is a podcast, and you know what you're getting. So. <laughs> Exactly. Let's get started. Uh... So I chose whales for today. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Okay. um, I'm hyper aware of my inability to pronounce even English words. Like, Mm. you know, that I've had to unlearn the words that like I learned growing up because they're apparently not words. Yeah, not waller is not a real word. No, waller (laughs) is not a word. Spigot is not a word. Wheelbarrow is not a word. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wheelbarrow. Yeah, that's also what I thought it was. So it's a barrel on wheels. <laughs> it made sense to me. You put stuff in barrels, you put stuff in the wheelbarrow. So. Sure. No, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My life is a lie. Um, so, yeah, I took one look at the, the Welsh language and went, yep, yep, that's the one. That's Here we go. the one for this week. Mm-hmm. 
so uh because it's gonna take me forever to get to her like always my witch's name is Gwen Fergalis um and I know I'm not putting enough like sauce on that like I should be but I'm sorry it's okay um um and then go ahead and just stand by while I take a moment to do what I always do. Uh, just one, tell people where Wales is. Mm. And two, give context on witchcraft in Wales. And I feel entirely validated on point one today because I watched a TikTok where it was like, what's the dumbest thing an American's ever said to you? And they were like, I told this woman I was from Wales. And she went, that's not a real place. That's an animal. <laughs> <laughs> wow okay well, at least we're not that dumb um and I wrote and I feel doubly validated by the fact uh in high school one of my classmates asked if New Zealand was one of our 50 states so <laughs> she did she raised her hand and asked in front of a silent classroom full of 30 kids wow the audacity yeah. well she was just doing word association like new york <laughs> new mexico new zealand <laughs> all of the news must belong to the u.s mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you where wales is at because i have a feeling some americans probably don't know i did not know before i started so this is good <laughs> i only knew because i told you i wanted to go to college there at one point yeah so where is wales it's in the uk it's the left-hand side of Great Britain, right next to England, and it's across from Ireland. It's got about 3 million people. Wikipedia says about 30% of the population speaks Welsh. Okay. And I tip my hat to them, truly. <laughs> <laughs> you have my respect. Yeah, for real. I will be in 1500s Wales today. Um, for the majority of my witch's life, James I, who we love to hate, mm -hmm. um, is king though he doesn't have a lot of bearing on my witch's trial my witch's trial is pretty separated from politics and religious turnover and as far as legislation goes i think i mentioned back during one of the episodes that i discussed james the first that he signed a witchcraft act into effect but it was signed into effect a decade after my witch's trial okay my witch is tried underneath Elizabeth I's Witchcraft Act of 1563, which was much more lenient than James's act. Um, okay. I, I discussed it, but Elizabeth's act had stricter stipulations that the only time a death sentence was warranted was in cases where witchcraft had been used for murder or harm. Okay. You can just execute someone for being a witch. Okay. A lot of cases, they just fined people and imprisoned people. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a note. Wales, while kind of its own thing, um, was annexed into Britain by Henry VIII in the 1540s. Oh. So it's kind of doing its own thing, but it's ultimately governed by England right now. Um, and with its annexation, it did establish the Court of Great Sessions, of which I am just going to read a definition because it's better than me trying to paraphrase it. Quote, modeled on these sessions of the former Principality of Wales, the courts of great sessions were unlike the assize courts of England, although they were subjected to the same authority of English statute law. The courts of great sessions had four circuits, and each justice of the four groups of three shires held a court of great sessions twice a year in each county, usually in spring and summer, for 15, although not necessarily consecutive, days. End okay. quote. They're essentially just 
courts that met occasionally and they dealt with things. So sometimes it could take a long time for a case to go to trial because they only met like twice a year. Yeah, they were on vacation. Yeah, they'll get around to it. Mm -hmm. There were also ecclesiastical courts in Wales. And disclaimer, I didn't do a huge amount of research into the court systems because I kept getting info on when Wales officially became like part of Britain in 1707. And not a lot on the post-annexation finer points of the adoption of English ideology by the Wales. Like how much acculturation had really taken place in Wales by the time my trial occurs, how much they were actually doing things the English way. Mm. Um, because just because they had been like adopted by England didn't necessarily mean that they had adopted their stuff. Yeah. Um, so all I can really say is that these new courts had been set up, um, they'd been established and they were set up to operate under English laws. And a second disclaimer, um, I also didn't really get into how secular courts and the ecclesiastical courts established jurisdiction or hierarchy. I didn't really care. Um, and it's not <laughs> going to particularly affect my story. <laughs> there you go. Doesn't um, matter. But I like to let people know when I'm glossing over stuff because I hate when I'm reading things and I realize later that it left out like huge bits of information Mm. that if it had just told me it was leaving it out that I could have gone and looked for it somewhere else if I wanted to know it. Yeah. I, I ran into that a lot here that everybody kept giving me like paragraphs about my witch and I got like huge dissertations and it's like none of this was mentioned anywhere else yeah at least have a little footnote please um anyway we haven't been in wales before not for any particular reason um but there aren't many witch trials in wales at all comparatively speaking uh which is kind of interesting knowing the kinds of numbers i've spit at you about countries before how many trials do you think wales had overall as a country like ballpark um you said not very many so maybe like 15 just 15 i don't know (laughs) bad at estimates (laughs) okay under under 100 yeah you're right okay good (laughs) every historian gave me different numbers so i don't know how they're slicing what counts and what doesn't count Mm. um but i found around 60 existing accusations of witchcraft in wales most accusations were dropped or dismissed or the accused were acquitted or found not guilty and i don't know if that's why they're not counting some of them Mm -hmm. or uh like some of the cases like the records were lost or they didn't proceed and i don't know if they're not counting some of those and that's why we have different numbers yeah um but of the cases for which we have records um and there are like years that are just lost period like before a certain period in time they're just we don't have records only five cases moved to execution okay so that's what i was thinking i was thinking in terms of like executions i guess like full ass trials that led to executions that's why i guess so small a number Mm -hmm. only five executions okay um four of those five executions happened after the harsher witchcraft act of 1604 was put into place by james the first yes 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 um I want that on a t-shirt, by the way. James the first, cunt. (laughs) (laughs) I would wear that. Nobody would understand, like, why I'm wearing a shirt that says cunt on it, but. (laughs) Oh, it'd be one of my favorite shirts. 
Yep. Um, the single execution that happened before his act was passed was our girl, Gwen. Okay. So, yes, spoiler, she does die. Ah, uh, the beans. <laughs> <laughs> there is no hope. Let's just walk in, walk in with that. Okay. Um, a note before I dive in, I'm using tertiary sources for the most part today. Um, I mostly found online articles and a dissertation to work with, um, and they quoted some university books and pieces of the jail file, jail spelled G-A-O-L, of Gwyn's trial, but he didn't have Gwyn's actual trial record, though it does oh. exist, or those university books, because university books are fucking expensive and they need to stop. Yep. I did at the tail end of my research find a 139-page thesis um, with a set of tables in it of all the witchcraft accusations in Wales broken down by court and district, oh, which was helpful. Nice. Yeah. And it's where I got the the numbers that I had because the dissertation I had only showed me like 42 of them. And then he's, and then the dissertation is like, and there were only 35. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> your appendix has 42. Which ones are we counting? Which ones are we not counting? So I got, I got another table of stuff and it gave me like 60. So okay that's that's what i'm counting as for whales uh context on how they view magic because i love context Mm -hmm. and it's important there's some similarity between whales and scotland uh in my opinion you see fairies show up in some of the accusations where magic users are deriving their powers from fairies and it's not a positive accusation Mm. Um, I got into the melding of fairies and witchcraft in our Scottish episode, which I recommend listening to if you haven't. That was the one, her name was Isabel, and she just went on like a super long tangent about like how she loved the fairies and stuff like that. It was her moment to shine. I remember that. Yeah, she's just this nobody up on the stand and she's like, I'm going to keep them here all fucking day. She knew how to hold an audience. She I did. I will say that. She did. She did. Yeah. <laughs> Her story was amazing. Mm-hmm. Is that the one with the devil's penis in it? Yeah. And it was super cold. <laughs> I remember <laughs> like that. Like well Vividly. water. Vividly. <laughs> <laughs> the image shall never leave us. Yeah. It's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Isabel. Ah. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to get into the melding of fairies and witchcraft here, but a takeaway should be that there is a belief in these kinds of folk creatures in Wales, and there's actually a pretty wide use of folk magic, especially in rural areas. Mm. I've mentioned cunning folk dozens of times in the show. The Mm -hmm. magic practitioners, people in the community who help you uh, find something lost, sell you herbs, sell you charms. Um, There were a lot of cunning folk in Wales. Um, Some of the literature I read said that they were essentially the poor man's doctor, Mm. which is why you saw wide use of them and presence of them in rural areas. This colors how the Welsh view magic, and it's one of the reasons their trial and execution rate stays so low. This kind of magic is just part of their daily lives. Mm. They do have this distinction we've seen in other episodes between good magic, white magic, and bad magic, black magic, but um, diabolism and double packs didn't really have anything to do with that distinction by and large. The devil wasn't really attached to the Welsh view of witchcraft, especially in the 1500s, and seemed to differentiate them from England. Mm -hmm. So really someone flopping from good witch to bad witch or back was a matter of community opinion and could change whenever. Um, 
I like to think of it as Yelp reviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like too many bad ones from clients and you might get accused of black magic or witchcraft. Mm. Um, And in several cases, you could make like reparations to the people who left you bad reviews or you could just get a lot more good reviews to like drown the bad reviews Mm. out. Mm -hmm. That is my understanding. And as you can see, it's perfectly flawless. I have an amazing understanding of how this works. Sounds good to me. Because most cases um, didn't progress beyond accusation, I mean, this is how I choose to see things. Because, uh, you know, it really could just be, I accuse you, and then, like, it goes nowhere. So either you could, like, say you're sorry, make it better with me, or just, like, you're so good in the community that, like, nobody gives a shit about Mm -hmm. my accusation. Yeah. But, yeah, most things didn't progress to trial. Unfortunately, Gwen's accusation will um so let's learn who the hell Gwen is okay Gwen uh we don't know who her parents are Mm -hmm. um it's not uncommon when do I ever have that much information on any of my witches yeah um but Gwen Freck Ellis means daughter of Ellis uh like Gwen daughter of Ellis so we do know that her father's name is Ellis Mm -hmm. at the very least She's born in mid-1500s in Thandernog, a village in northeast Wales in the Vale of Cluid. And a vale is like a valley with a river, in this case, the River Cluid. Sounds nice. Scenic. Very beautiful. <laughs> Magnificent. Gorgeous. <laughs> As a young woman, Gwen grows up near Wrexham in the Northeast and is at one point sent to live with Harry Up Roger. I don't know if she lives in Thandernog with her parents and moves near Wrexham to live with her uncle, or if she lives near Wrexham with her parents and moves to an unnamed place with her uncle. Like, mm. No one would specify. Mm-hmm. Um, but she lives with her uncle until she marries Louis Aptavis Apguen. Okay. At an unspecified date. They're married for about two years before Louis passes away. Oh. Gwen remarries in 1588 to a miller named Louis Aptavis Apgrafis. And I know her husband's names sound very similar, um, but it's just Welsh, Welsh patronymic naming conventions um, and they're really easy to catch on to. Mm-hmm. Ferk is daughter of and Ap is son of. Okay. Um, and I'm going to stop myself there because I love etymology and like the evolution of surnames and I could go on forever. So I just got to not be a nerd for a little bit. No, oh, I love that stuff too. Like naming conventions and like tradition and stuff like that. Like Russian is really cool and like um, South American, different South American countries, how they like have, everyone has three names. <laughs> it's like fascinating because like one name is their mother's maiden name and one name is like, anyway, yeah, I really mm-hmm. like it. It's so fascinating. I love it to pieces. Mm-hmm. But we have her first husband, Louis, son of David, son of Gwen, and then Louis, son of David, son of Gruffith. So Okay. Slightly different. We had to go out to another father because their their fathers also had the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gwen and Lewis number two marry and live together in Thanellian and Ross. Apologies. In, <laughs> <laughs> in Northern Wales. Lewis number two dies after about a year and a half. And then Jeez. Gwen marries. Yeah. Yeah. She's unlucky. 
Gwen marries John Up Morris in 1592 in Bettison Ross um, in Northern Wales. We don't know how long they're married, but John is mentioned in Gwen's 1594 trial records. And while some sources say that, you know, he might have died, another source that I trust a little bit more says that they might have just been living apart. Like they may have just been separated. Mm. So like all of her husbands die slash vanish from records in like a two year span. Oh, Unlike Alice Kittler, and this is surprising, um, Alice, I talked about early on in the show, really early on in the show, um, her witchcraft accusations were founded in the multiple deaths of her husband. Mm -hmm. Doesn't seem to have been an issue for Gwen at all. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Gwen might have been more likable than Alice, and then maybe there just weren't any complications attached to her husband's deaths like there were Alice where the husbands were leaving money to Alice instead of to her stepchildren, the husband's biological children. Yeah. So maybe Gwen just has the misfortune of marrying men who keep dying on her. Maybe she marries sick men. I don't know what her kink is. Maybe she kills them. I don't know. Yeah, maybe she... Some people do like being with people who are sick and who need them you know what's that called Munchausen or something Munchausen by proxy yeah yeah maybe that's her thing yeah she just really likes to take care of people who are gonna die for yeah the maybe attention <laughs> and for the ego boost mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know this lady I don't know what she's doing but yeah, yeah all, her, all of her husbands except the one she may have been living apart from um Gwen makes most of her living as a weaver spinning cloth. Uh, She seems to have made a decent living for herself. One source mentions her owning a house and having a maid. Oh, wow. She does have a side hustle for 15 years or thereabouts. So from about 1579 to 1594, she's a healer or a cunning woman. Okay. She's known for making salves and things to heal people and to heal animals. One source says she's also known as a seer. Importantly, she tends to ask for payment in the form of useful things like stuff for her weaving business or wood to burn, etc. Um, which seems to be what a lot of cunning folk throughout Wales did. Magic was less a business in and of itself than it was a way to like support their other trades and their households. I didn't read too much into this, but one of the dissertations briefly mentioned that this may have differentiated them from like the Pindle witches where like greed didn't really factor into it because Mm. I mean, you're not going to get mad at the other cunning woman in town for like, oh my God, she's getting so much like wool, but you might get mad (laughs) at somebody if they're like making a fuck ton of money. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like a barter system. Yeah, it was a little bit more like bartering. Mm hmm. I'm sure there was still some jealousy, but like nobody's just up sitting on a hoard of wealth. Yeah. Um, what's cool about Gwyn's magic is that it weaves in a lot of Christian elements, which we've mm. seen in previous episodes. And personally, it's something I'm fond of because mm-hmm. it's something I started doing in the last couple of years. Her charms start in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't copy the entire charm. She does uh, give one of her charms in her trial, and I don't know why I didn't write it down, but it mentions like Mary and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, it's very, very Christian to the point that people are like, we don't even know if she really did charms and spells so much as she was just doing like folk prayers and yeah, folk she, healing. Yeah, just praying. <laughs> She's just praying for people and she yeah. lived out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> 
She's one of those backwoods Christians. <laughs> oh man, we got a lot of those <laughs> in Southern Illinois. They're not near as interesting though. That's true. Yeah, definitely not. You stay away from backwoods Christians in America. Oh yeah, avoid them. They have guns <laughs> in their truck. <laughs> they have a lot of guns in their very large trucks. They're easy to spot. You'll find them at Walmart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just cruising around the Walmart parking lot. Um, it's in 1594 that Gwen's life goes to hell. She's in her 40s or 50s at this point. I got conflicting information. One said she was 42. One said she was 52. I don't know. Um, she's friends with a woman named Jane Conway, and it's through her acquaintance with Jane that everything goes downhill for her. But to explain how, I have to introduce another character into our story. Um, a dude named uh, Sir Thomas Mostyn, who is acquainted with Jane. So not acquainted with Gwen, but acquainted with Jane. Mm-hmm. I looked up Thomas's family tree, by the way, and I got really mad um, because every Thomas Mostyn named his son Thomas Mostyn, and most of them also became sirs. So it's Sir Thomas, son of Sir Thomas, son of Sir Thomas, son of, and I'm like, Jesus, goddamn Christ. That's so annoying. I saw this one tweet that was like, (laughs) men call women self-centered, but like then they name their kid their exact name. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's the most narcissistic thing. Yeah, I think I know which Thomas it is that's in this story based on dates, but I hate that I have to guess using dates like, oh, you know, he was alive during this time and he might have been the right age. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Sir Thomas's family is wealthy, obviously, with mm-hmm. that many sirs in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're landowners in Wales. So this guy has a lot of influence in the area and this is muy importante so mm, ah, c c c c c bm claro que si shoehorn some spanish into the welsh episode yeah well you just need a sprinkling sometimes now one day in 1594 thomas accuses gwen of having stayed in his mansion in gwaltaith while he was away he says when he got home, he found a charm that she hid in his house. I think it was in uh, it was in the parlor or the foyer. It was one of the two. Mm. Um, are those the same thing? I don't know. I don't, I don't have either. either in my house. Yeah, <laughs> there's no parlor here. <laughs> I have like a four by four patch of linoleum in front of my door. Mm. <laughs> Luxurious. <laughs> It's got a crack in it. <laughs> Character. Try to keep my shoes. <laughs> sure. We love it. <laughs> Living the high life. Um, <laughs> anywho, this charm that he says he finds uh, was reported to be written backwards, which is a clear sign that it was meant to have the opposite effect that it laid out. It was meant for harm. It was a curse on him. Mm. Um, importantly, this charm is not going to make it into Gwen's trial evidence. No quotes from it. No nothing. Um, it itself is not going to show up at the trial at all. It doesn't survive history. There's not a lot to back up that anyone other than Thomas saw it so Mm. far as I can tell. And Gwen will never confess to this. Hmm. Suspicious. Very. Now, why in the hell would Gwen do something like this to Thomas? 
I mean, as far as I could tell, like they weren't even acquaintances. They only knew each other through Jane. Mm -hmm. So uh, it seems kind of random. There are two versions of the story. In one, Thomas is the antagonist. In the other, Gwen and Jane are the antagonists. (laughs) So version one, Thomas and Jane had an affair. I don't know if in this version they were still having an affair or if they simply had had one in the past. But because Jane and Gwen are friends, Thomas assumes Gwen must know about the affair. I mean, friends tell each other all of that shit. Mm -hmm. If you tell me, like, don't tell anyone the secret information I'm about to give you, I will say, okay, and then I will tell my best friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he assumes Gwen must know this and he wants to keep her quiet. So what does he do? He fabricates this entire story about finding the backwards charm in his house to get Gwen accused of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Either as a threat, don't you dare say anything, I can make this really bad for you, or just to get rid of her and tie up a loose end, one person who could leak his business. Okay. The other version of the story that a historian puts forward is that Gwen actually put the charm in Thomas's house instead of Thomas just making it up that she did. And that she did it because Jane hated Thomas. Jane and Thomas had had a disagreement, an unspecified disagreement, um, and they fell out with one another. And so Jane told Gwen to put the charm in Thomas's house to get back at him. Like, you know, you're my friend and you do magic and stuff. Like, do you want to just maybe, you know, do me a solid? Yeah. I mean, both seem pretty likely, like equally likely. They seem equally likely. But whenever I read like theories from male historians where they're like, and both of the women were vindictive and the man was totally innocent. I'm like, mm. now just out of spite, I feel the need to put forth the other theory not believe you so Mm -hmm. I do like the Dixie Chicks situation though Mm -hmm. of them just like trying to fuck with him because he did something bad to Jane it's a it's an Earl situation maybe absolutely I think both are equally probable Mm -hmm. um and that's that's why I give both And I also give both because if you look up the story, you're going to find both different versions. And I couldn't figure out like why they didn't coalesce. Like there was like the details of the story don't make sense in one version. And so I kept running into the details. I'm like, there's no way to like fit this together into one story. Like they don't, you know what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Whatever the actual story is, fair or no, fair, charm real or fabricated. What I don't see is politics or religion or witch hysteria or those sorts of like outside influences having much effect on Gwen's trial. I read a dissertation that kept laying out theories of maybe the people who prosecute her had read this book on the evils of witchcraft published near this time, or maybe they had done this, or maybe they had done that. And that's why her trial goes so far and is so different. Hmm. Um, I read one article that briefly mentioned her mix of Christianity and magic would have had Catholic elements and Catholicism was illegal. And that's why it got so bad for her. And it's like, just because she was, had like Christian stuff in her house, they were like Catholic. Right. It's like, like, I'm going to need you to like, show me your work on that. Yeah. Cause like Catholicism and Anglicanism have a lot of similar practices and beliefs and stuff. So Exactly. I mean, she mentions like God and Jesus and you're like Catholic. I'm like, no, (laughs) I feel like that fits with a lot of Christians. Other Christians have those too. Believe it or not. (laughs) That's kind of like the whole deal. That is your shtick. So yeah. (laughs) Um, 
it was all just a lot of speculation for me that I couldn't buy into or validate without having access to her, her record. Like I, I refuse to just believe what people tell me if I can't check their work and see why they believe those things. Yeah. So, um, to me, this incident with Thomas is the driving force of Gwen's trial. It's not so much fear of witches. It is like this fight between three people who have beef with each other. And one of them has land and power. And the other one is, uh, one of them is inconveniently a practitioner of magic. Hmm. I mean, you, you already can see like the ingredients, like what this is going to make. It's going to make a spicy stew of misogyny. (laughs) (laughs) And execution. Delish. (laughs) Anyway, Gwen is arrested after her accusation by Thomas and is imprisoned in Flint Castle in northeastern Wales and questioned by the Bishop of St. Asaph. And I, my dyslexia always makes me say that wrong. So St. Asaph, who heads the Diocese of St. Asaph of the Church in Wales. Um, And that's a really complicated phrase. Church in Wales is one phrase and the C is capitalized. Hmm. I don't know why it's not Church of Wales. It's Church in Wales. At the time, this bishop is a man named William Hughes and Wikipedia just casually throws out William's daughter married one of Thomas Mostyn's sons and I'm sitting here like oh no, 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 let's pause like why are we glossing over this because mm. it seems like there's a little bit of conflict of interest going on right here even if that marriage happened after Gwyn's trial because it sounds like Hugh and the Mostyns know each other yeah I mean, yikes you're telling me that he married off his daughter to a stranger to like l- wealthy landowners and they didn't have a prior like connection to one another in any yeah, way. Yeah, don't like that. Yeah, I, I I tried to get into like the family trees and stuff and see if that was true. But for some reason, uh, they had this really bad habit of not giving a shit about women and then not putting them in family trees. So yeah. um, I could I could look up like the Mostyn family, but like some of their wives just don't make it in there. Alas, alas. Gwen's formal trial. I saw a Welsh word and my brain freaked out. It's like a fight or flight. Gwen's formal trial begins in October of 1594 and takes place in Thonsonfried Church, which is in northern Wales. Now, the dissertation I read gives the chronology that the subsequent accusations I'm getting ready to give came before Thomas's accusation. But all other articles I read gave the chronology that they came after Thomas's accusation and that these people backdated like we've seen about what Gwen did to them in prior years. Mm -hmm. So like this is the first time they ever presented it and they're like, two years ago, she did this to me. I don't know which is true. So there's the chance that there were prior allegations against Gwen. There's also the chance that there were prior allegations against her and these people again stepped up, this time as a group, to testify against Gwen during her trial with Thomas. Or there's the chance that they never accused her prior to this because there are no records of it and details were fabricated to set her up. Or alternately, they weren't fabricated. This is just the first time that they stepped forward. Right. Uh, I, I truly don't know which it is. Yeah. But here are those subsequent accusations. Five men and two women step up to accuse Gwen. The only accusations I have with 
any real detail are from one of the women um and uh, i have a second accusation later i don't know why i wrote that sentence like that i was apparently really fucking tired <laughs> one of the only accusations i have with any real detail is from one of the women the wife of a miller who said that her son had hit gwen once during a disagreement um and then he fell frantic and mad dying shortly afterward <laughs> okay yeah so she does get a death attached to her which isn't good because that's definitely falls within the legal grounds for like execution under yeah. the witchcraft act of 1563 um so that's not so good no but yeah i want to know like what actually happened like did he actually die because and how how much later did he like fall mad right could have been he already totally... mad when he hit her could have been re- unrelated completely probably was completely unrelated you remember that guy we had on campus during like I think it was our freshman year that went around the cereal puncher? <laughs> I remember the cereal pooper <laughs> who would poop in the washing machines in one of the towers. Not the cereal puncher who went on a punching spleen. Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> he punched every person he came across because <laughs> he thought he was Jesus. Oh my god, he had a psychotic break. It's not funny, but it's also like super funny. <laughs> Personally, I like to think of this as that. <laughs> yeah, it was that guy, yeah. He had a psychotic break. He hit Gwen, and then he just lost his shit. Yeah, maybe. God, what a weird fucking place we went to school at. <laughs> that was a semester I went to class with a guy who had the monkey on his head. You remember him? Yes, I remember him. Wow, that was a memory I think I repressed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Um, The second accusation with like any real detail does make reference to the devil. Hmm. But it's a very, very, very small reference. Um, A bailiff, William of Griffith, who is also the guy who arrested Gwen by one account is also not a conflict of interest at all Mm-mm. to have the guy who arrested you testify against you mm. but he testifies in about an encounter he had with her in 1591 he says he went with a group of men to her house unannounced demanding ale and went there with the purpose of putting her magic abilities to the test mm. one of the guys ends up shoving gwen at some point like, I don't know what it is with, like, dudes and, like, fucking shoving this woman. Like, yeah. can stop? First of all, you came to my house. Unannounced. Yeah, and now you're gonna fucking shove me? Like, they were, they must have been, like, super drunk and then fucking annoying. Yeah. She has way more patience than I would have. Yeah. But uh, after she gets shoved, she tells these guys, and I'm paraphrasing, if you hurt me, I will hurt you back. Mm. which i think is perfectly reasonable like if somebody decks me in the face you bet your sweet (laughs) ass i'm gonna fucking punch you back yeah so yeah i i find this completely reasonable she finally gives them the ale they want and they find a great fly ugly to behold floating on top of the drink and i think they describe it as being as like big as a bumblebee so you know those flies like the ones that get in your house and they're like it's like, how can you even fly? You're so big. Yeah, You're gross. sinking under the weight of your own body and they're so loud. Yeah, the kind of fly that would crunch if you <gasps> smashed it. Why did you say that? 
Why? Because I knew you would hate it. My whole day's ruined. Crunchy fly. No. <laughs> anyway, they pour the drink out on the floor, and when they do, the fly is nowhere to be seen. One of the men testifies at trial that this fly was a minion of the devil. And it doesn't seem like very many people took him seriously because like it makes its way into no other part of the trial and no one else testifies to this. <laughs> Everyone's like, anyway. <laughs> John was really drunk. I haven't talked about flies on the podcast, I don't think, but they do have a connection to witchcraft and uh, the devil historically flies landing on people, which is why it was so funny when a fly landed on Mike Pence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but people swallowing flies specifically was a very big thing. Um, it's come up in some of the academic articles I've read in the past. So there is a president, precedent, not president. <laughs> I said Mike Pence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, so there is a precedent for thinking that the fly in the drink means the devil. It's not just a bunch of dudes like absolutely reaching for like anything. Like the mm. Salem witch trials. Oh my God, a hole in my coat. Mm -hmm. Witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, within the next two weeks, the guy who shoved Gwen breaks his arm that he used to shove her. And the wife of the bailiff loses use of her limbs. To them, Gwen's eye-for-an-eye threat was carried out. Honestly, I have no idea without the, the jail file if these are the remaining people who testified against like Gwen, if like the five men and two women is like the group of people who went to her house and then like the other extraneous people. Mm. I have no idea. But Gwen, as I spoiled her earlier is found guilty of her charges and while one source disagrees that she's executed because the records aren't clear most accounts do say that she's led to the town square of Denby to be hung Gwen is executed by hanging by most accounts we don't know the date because no one wrote it down we only know that it would have taken place later on in 1594 uh, but upon her hanging Gwen becomes the first woman to be executed for witchcraft in Wales and even though everything I read said first woman to be executed over and over, I did find a second appendix of witchcraft indictments, the charges, the names of the witches, the dates of charges, the sentences, because I wanted to double check. But Gwen is the first person to be executed for witchcraft in Wales, which is a distinction that I want to make because woman implies that a man was executed before her. Yeah. No one was executed before her. Mm. I also want to make a note that of the five people executed in total, four of them were women. Mm -hmm. It's not surprising in the least. Um, but I think that you can see that maybe one of the reasons, the main reasons that this trial took place, this execution took place. Um, and the reason it gets so far is not because of like any overwhelming terror about witches in Wales or like hysteria about them. Um, this really does just feel like a case of revenge between a man with power and a woman without it, either executed by a man uh, who had a grudge against a woman and couldn't do anything about it, like she couldn't do anything about it, or alternately, a woman executing a revenge plot against a man and getting caught in public opinion, just striking the final blow. I think it really was just all about revenge. 
Um, so I do find myself disagreeing with a lot of the literature that it was recent publications changing attitudes about witches or English ideas of witchcraft finally seeping into Wales or harsh English legislation or anti-Catholic sentiments that like resulted in Gwen's trial and death. Mm-hmm. because it was such like this isolated personal like community case and even the mention of the devil is like so minuscule by like second guy to the left that like no one even paid attention to yeah um it's hard for me to see her case in most welsh cases as anything hysterical because you don't really see these pervading beliefs about people who cause hailstorms and eat babies and curse crops and like they need to be culled from the earth like it's a mission Mm-hmm. Um, cunning folk really only had the public turn on them when they weren't doing their jobs properly, if they were hurting the community instead of helping the community. Um, and this turn of public opinion happened with regularity. Infighting happened between neighbors, spouses. Most of the 60 accusations I mentioned were neighbors and spouses who just like accused each other of being witches because they were pissed off at each other. Yeah. Um, Problems were petty, they were local, and they were easily resolved and dropped because trials weren't about wiping out like these dangerous magic wielders in the community. Mm-hmm. Gwen just unfortunately gets accused by somebody with power and people's beef with their piles up behind it. But that is the story of Gwen Ferk Ellis. And I'm sorry that it wasn't super scandalous. It is her story nonetheless. I liked it. Well, I disliked it, but I liked it. I wish we knew what happened for sure i do too i wish i knew like the details because i feel either version of the story would have been interesting like if jane and thomas had had an affair like his secret plot could have been really interesting to know more details about Mm -hmm. or if jane and thomas really had had a disagreement what was the disagreement about and why did Jane like sneak Gwen into his house while he was gone Mm -hmm. and like curse him yeah I don't know I love those little moments of history where you remember and realize that they were like real people like the same as people today and they had all these like petty grudges against each other and they were always up to some shit. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. As I said, as previously stated, I faced many struggles this week, the first of which was (laughs) determining where Wales was located. So (laughs) thank you for your help. Um, Again, yeah, geographically challenged over here. Another struggle I faced was that all the Welsh saints are way, way far back to around the time of St. Patrick and St. Columba when we had that like monastic golden age in this re- in this region <clears throat> in this region jesus christ um so i'm going to talk about a 6th century saint named saint david of wales and i chose him one because he's the patron saint of wales and two because he's probably Wh- the country or wales the animal <laughs> <laughs> the country i think <laughs> What if I like thought we were talking about whales? <laughs> the animal. 
she wow. did her project on the wrong thing. <laughs> That's like um, when that one person thought they had to do a project on like young people in the continent of Asia, <laughs> like youth in Asia instead of youth in Asia. <laughs> no, I'm not that dumb. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh my god. Um, He's the patron saint of the country of Wales. And because he's probably the Welsh saint that we have the most information about. It might not be true information, accurate in any way, but at least it's like a full story as opposed to like... That's what this show thrives on. Yep, sure sure does. Um, So we know a lot about David, but one important thing that we don't know is his birth date. Scholars estimate that it's around 500, so that's post-Patrick and pre-Columba. In episode 8, I mentioned that St. Columba, or St. Columkill, studied under a monk named Finian. Finian studied under St. David. So that's Ooh. where we are in history. It's like cool because you start to see that it was really like this generational chain of these like monk scholars that were just hanging out around this time. And I like that. Besides David's hagiography, we only see mention of him in like ecclesiastical documents, like lists of bishops, where they're moving from church to church, stuff like that. Um, we don't really have a story of his life without the hagiography, so that's my main source, unfortunately, because it's probably like <laughs> like a thirty percent historical fact, I would say. <laughs> um, but it's a fun story, so I'm gonna tell it anyway, as if it were true. Um, the book, The Life of Saint David, was written by a gentleman named <laughs> something. <laughs> I think it's pronounced Rigavark. No idea. Hardvark. There is on. one vowel in the entire. His name is Arthur the Artvark. <laughs> um, I think it's Rigavark. Um, he was an 11th century bishop of Saint David's Cathedral. Rigavark's father was Sulian the Wise, who was also a bishop of that cathedral. And was this kind of like legendary scholar, wise man, etc. Um, the book claims to be a synthesis of all the surviving manuscripts in the cathedral that mention David. And it was written around 1095, so not too long after the Norman Conquest. So these are very tumultuous times. Civil War... There's a new ruler every year. The cathedral itself is being attacked and rebuilt, attacked and rebuilt. And because of that, not many records survive of the 8th century to the 11th century, which is this like gigantic span of time that we know like almost nothing about. So that's fun. (laughs) That's fun for us. Who needs it? Well, imagine if like that was the time you lived and like not too long after that, it's like completely wiped out in history. (laughs) It's like, that's terrifying. Um, So this life of St. David survived and it really helped his cult grow. And um, obviously it grew a lot because he's the patron saint of the entire country. Um, 
One of the reasons that historians are skeptical of the truth of the, hagiog of the hagiography is because it's possible that Rigvark wanted to use it to make St. David's Cathedral into a city, basically. He wanted the church to grow and he wanted a whole community around it because at the time, um, Canterbury and the Archbishop of Canterbury over in England were really trying to assert a lot of control over churches in Wales. And the Welsh bishops wanted none of that. They wanted to be independent, do their own thing. Um, so that's his motivation. And we'll just keep that in mind <laughs> and see how that plays out. Um, so let's get into the story of St. David. One reason I like him is because he's the patron saint of Wales and he was actually born in Wales, which is actually rare. Like St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland, who was born in Britannia, big liar. <laughs> or St. Andrew, patron saint of Scotland, who was born in Israel, which is random. Um, so legend has it that one night, 30 years before David was born, his father, Sant, or Sanctus, who was king of the country of Caradigian, I think. Um, and that's in the county of Cardiganshire, which I really love that they have a uh, county of Cardiganshire. I love that they have a county completely dedicated to cardigans and the wearing of cardigans. cardigans. It is illegal not to wear them. You are gifted a cardigan at your birth. <laughs> And then you must be buried with it. <laughs> <laughs> I would I think I would thrive in cardigan sure is what I'm saying. <laughs> I love a cardigan. Um so cardigan sure is like the west coast of Wales right in the middle. There's like this swoop that goes like that. <laughs> All the listeners can see what I'm saying. <laughs> It's a swoop and it's right in the middle. Anyway, King Sant or Prince, sometimes he's called a prince. It's like that weird landgrave thing in Germany, um, like a petty king, I think. Um, one night he has a dream in which an angel tells him, quote, tomorrow on waking, you shall find there three gifts by the river Tevi, namely the stag which you pursue, a fish and a swarm of bees settled in a tree. Of these three, therefore, reserve a honeycomb, a part of the fish and of the stag, to be kept for a son who shall be born to you. These gifts foretell his life, for the honeycomb proclaims his wisdom, for as honey in wax, so he held a spiritual mind in a temporal body. And the fish declares his aquatic life, for as a fish lives in water, so he, rejecting wine and beer and everything that can intoxicate, led a blessed life in God on bread and water only. The stag signifies his power over the old serpent, for as a stag, having deprived serpents of their food, seeks a fountain of water and is refreshed as in youth with the strength received, so he, born on high as on stag's feet, deprived the old serpent of the human race of his power of hurting him, and fled to the fountain of life with constant flowings of tears, and being renewed from day to day, so brought it to pass that in the name of the Holy Trinity, by the frugality of moderate repasts, he began to have saving knowledge and the power of God governing demons. Very intense. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen this before about a baby who hasn't been born yet. A lot um, of pressure. A lot of pressure. Um, but the hagiography also says that St. Patrick had a vision about David too. 
says that St. Patrick was traveling through Wales on one of his many wanderings, and he came upon this beautiful place called Vallis Rosina, or Rose Valley. And he thought to himself, like, this would be a dope place to build a church. Like, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to build a church here. But then an angel came to him and was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Move along, holy boy. <laughs> <laughs> this place has already been dedicated to a different holy boy. He'll be born in like 30 years. And Patrick is like kind of butthurt about it. <laughs> He's like, I have done nothing wrong ever in my life. <laughs> in my whole life. So Finders keepers. <laughs> Yeah, that's a fact. So why can't I have the pretty Rose Valley? And the angel just like grabs his shoulders and just turns him toward Ireland. Because if you look on the map, this point that he's in, which will, which will later be St. David's, is like the narrowest part of the channel between Wales and Ireland. And the angel is like, Ooh, look at that. It's so pretty. <laughs> Why does you... that feel like when your sibling wants something and you convince them <laughs> that something else is better? <laughs> so oh they leave God. your thing alone. I used to do that all the time to Meg. Um, <laughs> yeah, the angel's like, you can have all of that. Now go, shoot, get out of here. <laughs> um, okay, so skip ahead 30 years. King Sant is visiting a monastery called Tigwin, I think, when he sees this beautiful young nun. And he is just overcome with lust for this nun. And he rapes her. Oh, I no. think it's, yeah, I think it's so interesting that the king's name means holy. I can't tell if that's super misogynistic or if it's actually like a really dark ultra feminist joke. Like, I can't, maybe if I was better at, like, reading historical sources, I would be able to tell. But the story is definitely on the side of the nun. So that's something. Um, anyway, that's how St. David is conceived. We don't see don't that like a lot. That. We don't see that a lot with saints. Um, so this nun is named Nan. <laughs> Nan the nun. <laughs> Nan the nun. Um, sometimes called Nana or Nanita. So while Nan is pregnant with David, she is said to have only consumed bread and water. Mm -hmm. Doesn't seem healthy, but okay. <laughs> um, one day she goes to offer some sacrifices for a safe childbirth, as was the custom, I guess. And when she walks into the church, the priest who had been preaching immediately falls silent. He loses the ability to preach. And the congregation is like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, fuck if I know, ladies and gentlemen. But he tells Nan to leave the church because she was the one who had just come in. He's like, you get out of here. You're messing with me and I don't know why. Um, but she doesn't want to leave church. So she hides in a little like alcove, a little corner. And while she's in the church, the priest still can't preach. So he's like, she must still be in here hiding. So he goes and finds her. And after he kind of questions her for a while, she finally admits that she's pregnant. Obviously, that's something that she would want to conceal. <laughs> um, but he's not mad at her. He doesn't like chastise her or anything. He is kind of like in awe. He tells the congregation, quote, 
The son who was in the womb of that nun has grace and power and rank greater than I, because God has given him status and sole rule and primacy over all the saints of Britannia forever, before and after judgment. Farewell, brothers and sisters. I am not able to abide here longer, owing to the son of this nun, because to him is delivered sole rule over all the people of this island, and it is necessary for me to go to another island and to leave the whole of Britannia to this woman's son. So another holy boy is like, goodbye. And the people are like, wait, <laughs> we still need a priest for the next like 20 years. So <laughs> maybe stick around until then. But <laughs> he's like, see you later. Um, in the meantime, the hagiography says that there is a quote unquote local tyrant, which is like great identifier. <laughs> I love the idea of a local tyrant. <laughs> Add that to my business card. <laughs> local tyrant freelance grave digger local tyrant human sausage <laughs> it gets better that's really good um i think of my cat as like a local tyrant <laughs> um this unnamed local tyrant hears from his gasp druids that a baby is going to be born soon that will be more powerful than him. And he is, quote unquote, tortured with black envy. Sometimes there are some like nice phrases in this. The druids tell him where the baby is going to be born. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to post up there with a sword and wait. <laughs> so that way I can fucking demolish that thing as soon as it's born. So Nan is out one day out in the country and she goes into labor and the local tyrant is like watching and waiting. But then a huge storm starts. There's this crazy wind, lightning, thunder, hail, hailstorm, take a shot. Um, so the tyrant guy flees from this storm. Um, but Nan is protected from the storm by like a cocoon of light, a little bubble. And she gives birth to David there. A church was later built on that spot, the Chapel of St. Nons, and the ruins still exist today. It's one of the oldest Christian buildings in Wales. Um, today, there's a modern chapel near the ruins that was built in the 1930s, and there are also some Iron Age standing stones in the field. So some people think that maybe the original chapel was built within a circle of uh, standing stones. Um, okay, back to the story. The only detail we get of David as an infant is that at his baptism, the blind monk who was holding him miraculously regained his sight. Then we skip ahead a little and we learn that David was educated at a place called Vitus Rubus in somewhere called Henvenu. That's just a guess. I couldn't find anything about how to pronounce that place. Um, apparently there was a pigeon with a gold beak who always hung out with David when he was a kid. <laughs> the two a Disney of... princess. <laughs> exactly. The two of them were pals. That was his sidekick. I'm not really sure what that has to do with anything, but uh, there you go. That's the only detail of his childhood. And then boom, suddenly he's a priest. So he must be at least a teenager. He became a scribe under a man named Paul Linus, who had been a disciple of the bishop Germanus. And Germanus was the one who was said to have educated St. Patrick in Gaul. So it's all connected. Um, 
It's not clear where David was educated under Paulinus. The hagiography just says that it's on an island and that David stayed there many years and at one point cured Paulinus of blindness in the man's like old age. Um, a little while after that, an angel appeared to Paulinus and told him, look, you've had David for too long. It's time for him to spread his wings like the superstar he is. Like you have to let him go. I know he's your favorite student, but like he's got to go. He has important things to do. So David finally leaves and he basically travels around building churches and performing miracles, pretty much the same stuff we saw with St. Patrick and St. Columba. He builds 12 monasteries throughout England and Wales. The first one is in Glastonbury. The second one is in Bath, where he purifies the water of the old Roman baths so that people can bathe there again, I guess. <laughs> the text said that he endowed the water with a perpetual heat. Like, he knows what the people want, and what they want is a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his ear to the ground. He is a man of the people. Um, anyway, he builds a bunch more monasteries all over, and then he returns to Henvenu. When he gets back, he hears the voice of an angel. So many angels in this story. They are a very convenient plot point. <laughs> the angel tells him that there's a place he needs to go to establish a church, and that everyone who will be buried in good faith in the churchyard, in the church he establishes, will go to heaven. So this is important for him to do. And that place where he's supposed to build it is the Rose Valley that St. Patrick tried to claim. So the next morning, David and three of his disciples head there and they set up a camp in the spot that the angel said to go to. Okay, so they're in their camp. They light a fire or whatever. And a local Irish, quote, chieftain and druid called Buya, Buya, B-W-Y-A, no pronunciation guide for that. Um, booyah. <laughs> booyah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Let's go with that. Um, this guy sees their fire and, quote, trembled at the sight of such a portent and was overcome. And he was stirred with such resentment that he forgot his meal and spent the whole day grieving. His wife came and asked, why so sad and cast down? Are you grieving? To this he answered, I grieve to have seen smoke rising from Valles Rosina, which encircled the whole country, for I hold it as certain that the kindler of that fire shall excel all in power and renown in every part that the smoke of his sacrifice has encircled even to the end of the world, for that smoke, as by a token, predicts his fame." His wife, enraged, said to him, arise and take a troop of servants and with drawn swords, destroy them all. It's always the evil wife. Um, so it said he was Irish. So I assumed that he was like across the channel in Ireland because St. David's is at that like narrowest point. But the story makes it seem like David is on this guy's land. So maybe he's an Irish chieftain, but he's in Wales. I don't really know how that works. Um, and that's what the wife says. The wife is like, are you going to let these people like build a fire on your land, like without your permission? Anyway, he and his troops go, this chieftain and his troops go, but while they're on their journey, they're overcome with a fever. They can't travel anymore. And they're fucking pissed about it. Like they start cursing whoever this guy is. They're like blaspheming like crazy, like fuck this guy, fuck God, like fuck everybody. Um, and they turn back and this guy's wife meets them. 
the chieftain's wife meets them as they're coming back and says, honey, this is bananas. Guess what? While you were gone, all our cattle and sheep and horses just dropped dead. And they realize, oh shit, it's because we were talking so much shit about this guy. He must be a holy boy. We should go and ask for his forgiveness. So the chieftain and his wife go to David and say, you can have this land forever. It's yours. And David is like, go home, all your livestock, like I'll bring it back to life. And he resurrects all their like cows and stuff. Zombie cows. Zombie cows. <laughs> um, yeah, he gives them a bunch of zombie cows. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. <laughs> it's kind of terrifying. They never die. <laughs> <laughs> never ever they will outlive Legend you says they still exist today <laughs> oh my god what if they did they outlive you and your children and your children's children um so it seems like they have an understanding and that things should be fine between them but then the hagiography says that the chieftain's wife just like fucking goes off the rails so apparently she is unsatisfied with this truce <laughs> the first thing she does is she sends a bunch of naked women over to try and tempt the monks <laughs> she's like go to the river by their camp and just like talk really loud about how much you love sex <laughs> just like really play it up get into it um so they do and the monks are super distracted super horny and they tell <laughs> david like we gotta go we cannot handle this. Um, they actually say, quote, let us fly from this place because we cannot dwell here owing to the molestation of these spiteful sluts. <laughs> we can only think about so much baseball. <laughs> <laughs> baseball, baseball, baseball. Do they have baseball in Wales? Do they play cricket? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know what they do over there. I don't know either. Now I have to Google the history of cricket. Um, I don't understand cricket. I don't know. It's like a, it's like baseball, but like weirder. And with different rules. And it just seems scarier to me. Like getting drilled in the face by. <laughs> <laughs> also, have you seen like the running wind up they do when they throw the ball? That's it's why like, I'm scared of it. It's like very intimidating. Like getting, <laughs> what is it? What is it called in baseball? Is it beaned? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it would hurt more in cricket. Yeah. Oh, it hurts pretty bad in baseball, I think, too. <laughs> it does. I can attest. Yeah, dude. I used to get hit all the time when I played softball. Oh, yeah. And you have like that lace imprint on mm. your calf. Yeah. I got hit in the head once. That probably explains <laughs> a lot about me. <laughs> I was the person in like school sports which that wasn't a school sport but like I was the person in gym class who always got hit in the head with something like a softball a volleyball a basketball a soccer ball like everything I don't you know, know my why reputation was for what <laughs> singing while playing oh Christ all of the the referees knew me as the girl who sang in the outfield well there's nothing to do in the outfield because nobody can hit it that far when you're kids I was so bored but I didn't realize that they all knew me <laughs> like oh that one oh god we spotted her <laughs> she's at it again 
That's funny. Um, oh yeah, where sluts. were we? Spiteful slut. Um, which you could also put that on your business card. Spiteful <laughs> slut. <laughs> Just an idea. <clears throat> um, so David is like, no, we're not leaving. They have to leave. We were here first. And he and the monks try to just ignore the naked women. Then, for like no discernible reason, the chieftain's wife takes her stepdaughter. So it's the chieftain's full daughter, but her stepdaughter. She takes her to the river and cuts off her head. That's excessive. <laughs> no, no explanation given. I feel like some steps were skipped. <laughs> you could say that. Um, just cuts off her head. And then it says that the blood flowed on the earth and then a spring of water came up from the ground and that spring had healing properties. And then the wife ran away and was never seen again. <laughs> um, <laughs> she just freaked out and then ditched everybody. Um, and that part kind of reminded me of like Herodias and John the Baptist and the legend of Aradia, except in this version, the Salome character gets her head cut off. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but it's like similar elements. Um, mm -hmm. Then soon after that, the chieftain's castle is invaded and he dies too. So I guess the point of all of that is just the complete annihilation of that family. <laughs> Uh, I guess that was like don't mess with the holy boy yeah I guess so um and now that they're gone David can build his monastery the one that he's actually gonna live at instead of just building um so the monastic rule that David enforces is very very strict there's a lot of manual labor and if you don't work you don't eat the monks have to plow the land with their own hands instead of using animals they have no personal property. Even saying something as simple as my book is not allowed. They reject all gifts from outside the community. They eat mostly bread and herbs and never to excess. Their portions are different depending on their ages and bodies so that everyone has exactly the amount they need. No beer allowed, no idle talk and no complaining. <laughs> so he has like three followers. <laughs> I would not last a single day at that monastery because I love to complain. I would have been there for like two hours and then said <laughs> sayonara. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not for me. No beer, no me. <laughs> Work to eat, nah. Pass, mm -mm. hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so whenever someone new wants to join up, he has to wait outside the walls for 10 days. If he's still around after those 10 days, then he's allowed to join. So it's like hazing. David himself said all the masses and tended to all the sick in the area and all the pilgrims. The hagiography also mentions a bunch of different times that David created springs of water. That was like his favorite thing to do, I guess, his favorite trick. Um, word got around that this monastery was kind of like, kind of like the place to be at the time. And lots of new monks started coming in, even some princes and like landowners and stuff, um, rich people. So one of David's favorite disciples was a monk named, it's either, <laughs> it's either Aethan or Ethan. Um, people say it differently. Um, I thought it was Aiden, but I was wrong. 
um, this guy's his favorite. He later also became a saint. And he had left St. David's Monastery and started his own in Ireland. So he was like, goodbye, I'm gone, but like, you're my favorite, basically. And one Easter Eve, Ethan had a vision in which an angel told him, again, angel, angel, angel. Um, the angel told him that another of the monks at St. David's was going to try to poison David the next day when he was eating his Easter meal. And Ethan was like, what am I supposed to do from over in Ireland? Like, I don't have a ship ready. The wind is not right for sailing. There's no way I can get a, mes um, a message. Uh, no way I can get a message there in time. And the angel is like, shh, 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 Just send the monk down to the shore and I will worry about the rest. Well, this is um, when the magic bird from his childhood could have shown up and been a <laughs> As we'll see, I think he forgot about the pigeon for a while, but <laughs> <laughs> he just invented something else instead. Um, it says, quote, the disciple obeyed and went to the shore and entered the water to his knee, and a monster took him and carried him across to the confines of the monastery. <laughs> we don't use the pigeon, but we use a sea monster. Sea monster time, yep. I'm not saying it's the Loch Ness Monster. I'm just saying that no one has seen this monster and the Loch Ness Monster together. <laughs> <laughs> I have no fucking clue what that's about. Um, I just like the image of this disciple riding a sea monster across mm -hmm. the sea. It's like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> is he like, onward? Or is he just like, freaking out? Got one hand in the air. He's just enjoying it. <laughs> but this is before Columba banished the Loch Ness Monster. So it could be like, you know how some people have that theory that like all the lakes and rivers and oceans are connected. Mm. Like it could be. Anyway, I fully believe in the Loch Ness Monster and I will not I just apologize think it's a dinosaur. That. Yeah, that's still alive. Yeah. There's that one fish that was like a million years old or something that looked terrible. Like it wanted to die so bad. <laughs> it's just, just over it <laughs> like my grandpa <laughs> just fucking take me out <laughs> sick of being alive <laughs> um yeah i don't know what that's about but a monster takes the monk over and the monk warns david just in time that the cellarer and the deacon had poisoned his bread and david's like um i think i believe you but just to be sure let's tested on this dog quote and as soon as it had tasted the bit it died a wretched death for in the twinkling of an eye all its hair fell off so that its entrails burst forth its skin splitting all over and all the brethren who saw it were astonished and holy david threw the threw the second part to a raven which was in its nest wait yeah which was in its nest in an ash which was between the refectory and the river on the south side. And as soon as it touched it with its beak, it fell lifeless from the tree. But the third part, Holy David held in his hand and blessed and ate it with giving of thanks. And all the brethren looked at him amazed with wonder for about three hours. <laughs> they just stared at him for three hours. Okay. He... <laughs> <It's> that face. <laughs> Um, he dauntless preserved his life intact, no sign of the deadly poison appearing. Um, there's another really short story where he lets a visiting bishop or something borrow a horse 
and the horse literally walks across the ocean to Ireland. Um, basically, I think it's trying to get across the point that he's like master of water. He's a waterbender or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like in the prophecy from when he was born or before he was born, he's like, he has an aquatic life um, like Jesus. And then that other part of the prophecy about the honeycomb um, there's a part of the hagiography where one of David's monks, who was the monastery's beekeeper, is leaving to go to a different monastery in Ireland, and the bees follow him. They follow the beekeeper, um, and they won't come back to St. David's, and that's the legend of how bees came to Ireland, because I guess before then they didn't exist there. Um, anyway, David has a vision that he is going to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So he heads off there with two other monks, and they make their way through Britain, they cross the sea, and they land in Gaul. While they're in Gaul, David is granted the gift of tongues, so he can speak all the different languages that they hear as they travel through Gaul. Quite nifty. Um, they finally make it to Jerusalem, and the patriarch appoints David an archbishop. Side note, I think actually it's hilarious, but again, the hagiography is really the only source of this, and it makes sense for the writer to say that David got appointed an archbishop, because if the founder of his cathedral was an archbishop, then all future bishops of that cathedral would also be archbishops, and therefore it could be granted city status on the same level as Canterbury. So this is, this is his like little ploy. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. There's really no way to know. Um, anyway, the patriarch of Jerusalem sends the monks home with gifts. And when they get back, the area is really in the midst of the Pelagian controversy. Um, I think I've talked about Pelagianism before, but just in case, it was a sect of Christianity that sprang up in the fourth and fifth centuries the same way Arianism did. And the main difference in doctrine is that Pelagians believe that there's no such thing as original sin. Adam and Eve didn't cause the fall of man. Man was just fine and was actually capable of achieving perfection without divine intervention. So very controversial idea. Um, so everyone's arguing about this. It's the topic of the day and the bishops call a synod, but it's so funny. It turns into a literal shouting contest. Like they take turns standing on a pile of stuff. I think it's like, they, it's like a pile of garments. And they say, whoever can stand on this and be heard over all the shouting <laughs> will believe that person. <laughs> That's how they're going to make their choice <laughs> about That's this doctrine. The worst way to choose. They really the loudest needed... person is the stupidest person. <laughs> That's the rule. That's true. Yeah, that is true most of the time. And like... They really could have used a talking stick, I think. <laughs> um, but I guess there are worse ways to figure stuff out. Like, they didn't agree to fight to the death or something. Um, one guy at this synod is David's old teacher, Paulinus. So he sends messengers to go get David. Because if anyone can win the shouting contest, he thinks that it could be David. So David comes... Um, on the way, he casually brings a dead boy back to life, but I guess that's not worthy of more than a couple lines, so we <laughs> move right along. <laughs> We've got places to be. <laughs> they get to the synod, and Paulinus is like, here, stand on this pile of stuff so people can hear you, and David's like, 
I don't need your pile of shit. And he just starts preaching. And while he's preaching, the ground beneath him rises and the white pigeon flies down and sits on his shoulder. I love that it's not a dove. <laughs> it's a pigeon. <laughs> I like to picture a New York pigeon. Just a trashy old disease ridden pigeon. It's like the size of a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, ooh, gross. It's got a cigarette in its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the things I've seen on these city streets. Uh, yeah, the pigeon, the New York pigeon is sitting on his shoulder smoking a cigarette. And at the end of David's speech, he is standing on a hill above everybody else. Uh, it says, quote, on the top of this hill, a church is situated. The heresy is expelled. The faith is confirmed and sound hearts. All are in agreement. They pay thanks to God and to St. David. I'm sure it was exactly that simple. Mm -hmm. um, quote, then blessed and extolled by the mouth of all, he is with the consent of all the bishops, kings, princes, nobles, and all grades of the whole Britannic race made archbishop, and his monastery too is declared the metropolis of the whole country, so that whoever ruled it should be accounted archbishop, wink, wink, wink. Um, he might as well add, like, including me, your writer, <laughs> who should also be an archbishop. <laughs> Um, and the writer says that David lived to be 147. Sure. Eight days before he was supposed to die, an angel appeared to him and said, hey, you're going to die on March 1st. Just wanted to let you know. And David is psyched. He's old. He's wanted to die for a while now. He's ready to go. And the angel goes out to all of Ireland and Britain and tells everybody that David is going to die in eight days. Just enough time for everybody to make one last pilgrimage. So he gets tons of visitors who come and say goodbye to him. And he says mass for everyone, right after which he is seized with pain. And he gives everyone a final blessing, saying, quote, Lords, brothers, and sisters, be joyful and keep your faith in your creed and do the little things that you have seen me do and heard about. And as for me, I will walk the path that our fathers have trod before us. Um, apparently still today, the phrase, do the little things in life is like a common Welsh phrase. Um, anyway, that's where that comes from. I didn't know anything about that. Um, David died at dawn, and he was buried in the monastery. The two most common years given for David's death are 589 and 601. So we don't know his birth date or his death date, which is fun. <laughs> David's relics were kept in a casket at the stone base of his shrine in the cathedral. They remained there through many centuries, through Viking raids and other crazy shit. But of course, Protestants ruin everything. <laughs> and the relics and all the jewels of the shrine were confiscated during the Reformation. Um, the shrine has since been restored, but the relics are lost, probably destroyed. Fucking Protestants. They don't understand why you keep dead people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're over it. They also don't really like so much how we love Mary, but that's a different story. <laughs> a woman? No! <laughs> a white man? No! <laughs> I love that scene. Me too. Um, okay, I'm almost done. <clears throat> David was canonized by Pope Calixtus II in 1120, 
most likely due in part to the popularity of the, hag of the hagiography. It really worked at getting the message across. He was also canonized by the Eastern Orthodox Church, but we don't know exactly when. Um, St. David's did receive city status, but it lost it in 1888 after the laws were changed. But then in, in 1994, Queen Elizabeth II returned its status, quote, in recognition of its important Christian heritage. March 1st is a Welsh holiday called St. David's Day. It's celebrated by wearing the Welsh symbols of daffodils and leeks, eating traditional Welsh food, and women wearing traditional Welsh dresses. They have parades and concerts, and it seems like a fucking party. Anyway, that's St. David, patron saint of Wales. Well, it had sea monsters, it had a pigeon, it had <laughs> sluts. <laughs> so many sluts. All the sluts. So many zombies. <laughs> zombie cows. <laughs> zombie boy. A zombie boy, yeah, who we just like don't care a shit about, I guess. No, we need to start pausing on important details and historical documents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very much focused on the pigeon and not the zombie boy for some reason. The pigeon that disappeared for like 20 years. <laughs> and then just like showed up. Um, yeah, that was kind of weird. It's not, um, I wouldn't say it's a very cohesive text. <laughs> I if, I like to imagine some of these things coming through like a creative writing class because I can't help it and I would be writing like Mary Sue like mm -hmm. all over this. David's totally a Mary Sue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he can speak every language, can he? Well, the ground rose up beneath his feet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Holy boy alert. Could eat poison and be fine. Yeah. He had it all. He really did. He was super holy. The yeah. holiest. The holiest of the boys. <laughs> so holy other boys could not be in his presence. Yeah. I do think it's like kind of interesting how he was conceived in rape. Like I can't I think of that interesting. I can't think of another saint that I've read about who was. I'm sure there are, but And I think I find it interesting because that's like his conception was negative then like the priest couldn't speak in his presence whenever his mom was pregnant yeah it brings like plague upon that chieftain's like <laughs> livestock and stuff and they're like this guy's holy i'm like that is not the conclusion i came to <laughs> well it's funny like that would not be the case if he were a woman probably no he would be a witch also, did they, like, know the sex of the baby at the time? Because could you imagine if the priest was like, and he will rule everything, he'll take my place, and then she gives birth <laughs> to a girl, and he's like, I misspoke. <laughs> I <have to> come <laughs> back. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of, like, the Lion King, too. It is a girl. <laughs> a girl! Hey. <laughs> 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 yeah it was wild wild time i don't know what the fuck was going on the past was truly a free-for-all yeah that was fun i have no idea what we're doing next me neither we'll figure it out yeah in the meantime 
In the meantime, head on over to Instagram and check out the pictures from today's episodes and all of our episodes. You know how to get in touch with us. We take recommendations. Do you want to know something about the confirmation saint you picked because they had a funny name and you didn't care about (laughs) confirmation, but now you do a little. (laughs) Is there a particular language you would like to hear us struggle with for an hour and a half? Yeah, maybe we do something crazy like Portuguese or like Russian or something where we just want to die. Yeah, I don't know. If you want to hear it, let us know. Yeah. And thanks so much for listening. And thanks be to God. Blessed be.